Welcome to MLB Extras, the Colorado Rockies edition. Hello, everybody. I am Allison Footer, and I am here with Thomas Harding for our weekly chat that I look forward to each and every week. Thomas, uh, until we have a resolution, it's not even a resolution, but until we get past the business that is Nolan Arenado, we're just going to keep talking about him. Um, and now that the arbitration uh, dollar figures have been exchanged, we're kind of in a holding pattern. So you managed to get an entire article out of the fact that your general manager is not really speaking on this. <laughs> but <we're- laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I'll have to say that I've made a career out of getting articles out of the general manager, not saying much. And it's interesting, um, during that event yesterday, uh, yesterday, the Hall of Fame baseball writer, Tracy Ringlesby actually hosted it. He explained that when he became the general manager of the Rockies, he wanted to make it a point that information doesn't flow out of there. And he made a point to everybody there. He says that part of it is there's only so much energy in getting your players together, um, scouting other players, uh, preparing for the draft, that he didn't have the energy to be involved in rumor mills and in media stuff. So he has effectively kind of shut a lot of that down. He thinks it, may, it helps him make deals. I know that um, there are teams out there that like being in the media because it help, because they think that some of the rumors and all and all that they help them do. Business. So there are different ways of doing this. Uh, he chooses to do he he chooses to do it in a very closed mouth manner. Um, I think in this case it may be actually uh, pertinent because you don't want anything nasty from negotiations. And let's face it, if you if one if you offer twenty four million and the guy asks for thirty million, you you fundamentally disagree on something. You want to work toward a resolution, but you don't want the play by play of the disagreement being out there in public. So that's why he did it that way. Right. So you really, I mean, it's not even possible at this point. Well, it's it's really a matter of of just whether they're going to get to a hearing and whether they're going to let the arbiter arbitrator, whatever you want to call him, pick one number or the other. Um, so it's, it's really a big buildup to very little, except the fact that it's going to break the all time arbitration record. We know that for sure, because offer was 24 million and the record is 23 million. So we do know that for sure. That's uh, somewhat of interest. Yeah, and that, that's why in these cases, um, you hope the players step back and don't get too upset about something that happens in negotiations because you're assured of a job, you're assured of more money than you've ever than you've ever earned in a year. I think, though, in this particular case, if they're able to get to a figure they're happy with and sign something before they get to a hearing, that gives them more time to try to negotiate the long-term deal before the start of the regular season. And for me, that means more than all of the arbitration hearings. Can they get to um, something where, where where he's in a Rockies uniform for the next six or seven years, at a, obviously at a very high price, but you don't have to worry about um, gee, if the team is struggling, do they trade Arenado? Or at the end of the season, um, you know, he becomes a free agent and maybe the price goes crazy or, or he's in one of those holding patterns for him like uh, like Harper and Machado are this year. So that's, that's what I think it means more is that if they can get to 
um, an agreement, it gives them more time to try to negotiate the long-term deal. And uh, the thing about Arenado, he doesn't want to negotiate into the regular season. Hey, last year, at the day that they traded figures, Blackman and the club, they settled at $14 million. Well, by the time they negotiated the six-year deal, his salary for the season was uh, $21.3 million. So really, when we're looking at it, I don't know that we're really looking at it strictly in a um, in an arbitration box here. It goes beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. I do uh, think it would behoove everybody to come to an agreement before they step into that room, given that they want... What a word, behoove, by the way. What a word. Behoove. It's one of my favorite words. But to go into a room to tell Nolan Arenado why he's not worth what he's asking for seems to be <laughs> bad optics for a guy that you want, like you said, around for another six or seven years. So we'll just assume that... Um, that they'll be able to maybe work something out. Um, so let's uh, we're, now that we're getting so close to spring training, and I'm going to keep saying that every week until you're actually physically in Arizona. Um, we're going to kind of look position by position, uh, maybe highlight one person every week to talk about going into spring training. Let's talk about Charlie Blackman, who uh, of course is no stranger to this team, but will actually be transitioning to the corner outfield position. So what can you tell us about that? Well, and Charlie, you know, he'll be uh, 32 years old this season um, and his body has taken some beating. It's funny. Early in the career, he had a hard time staying on the field. Well, uh, since he became the main center fielder, there's just been one year that he played in fewer than 150 games. And in 2017, he played 159 and 2018, 156. But all that running in center field for a big, strong fellow like that, that could shorten a guy's career. But now that he's signed that six-year deal, the Rockies are looking, hey, let's get you out of center field in order to kind of cut down on some of the mileage. So um, the way I see it, I think he would work well in left field, but he has played some right field. He played at some um, when, he, when he first came up. I like David Dahl a little bit better in right field than I do in left. But if you're able to get Charlie Blackman out of center field, maybe you cut down on some of that wear and tear. Coors Field has a huge center field. And not only that, but this is something Charlie and I t talked about. When a, when a ball comes off the bat in most places, you know, it ascends at a certain angle. Then it kind of drops at a little bit deeper angle, almost like a steeper angle. It doesn't. It, it's it's not as much of an angle when it drops. At Coors Field, the the flight is truer, and it and it goes a little bit farther that way, and it doesn't drop as suddenly. So if you're a center fielder at Coors Field, you're running a long way, and there's a wall there, and walls hurt when you hit them. So, um, guys in center field. Um, I, I found it hasn't worked as well. You go back to when Ellis Burks was the center fielder here, playing center field, and we talked about it a few years ago because he was one of those guys, he was like Charlie. Charlie would always tell me, playing center is the essence of outfield play. Ellis never wanted to move out of center field, but by the time he moved on to the Giants, um, he had problems, and he said he would have let he, he, he wished he would have left center field earlier. Um, Preston Wilson came here toward the end of his career. He's playing center. He's sprinting. And Larry Walker, who's also a big fellow, they collided in the outfield. And, that, and I wonder if that shortened the end of Preston Wilson's career. So uh, big guys in, in center field, you don't want them there too long. The ability to move Ian Desmond back to center field. And yeah, he is a strong fellow. And um 
and, and he runs well. I think he can handle that position. I think he moves a little bit better than Charlie right now. I do think that's the that's the uh, prudent move because what you want to do is you want to protect Charlie. I mean, you looked at the 387 bases that he got in 2017, and last year he had 314, and people considered it somewhat a down year with a 291 average and an 860 um, OPS. But you get a lot of offense out of Charlie. I think you'll still you, you'll get decent defense out of him in a corner outfield position. Yeah, well, and then that leads us to um, kind of looking at the uh, lineup if the season started today. And let's make a note that the season is not starting today. Um, but every we have an article on MLB.com kind of projecting every team's uh, starting lineup. And, uh, you know, I'm the, I'm the eternal optimist when it comes to this stuff. So basically every lineup I look at, I'm like, hey, you know, this doesn't look half bad. And, uh, of course, the Rockies, there's a ton of, you know, returning guys and uh, very familiar, accomplished players. So this, this, um, this lineup looks like it's pretty formidable for 2019. Yeah, I do think so. I think the addition of Daniel Murphy – really makes a huge difference. I mean, you could bat him second. Hey, he, he batted leadoff some for the Nationals last season, but looking at his career numbers, he really slots into the fifth position because um, he would be some protection for Trevor Story. You don't want people trying to get Trevor Story to chase. Trevor, as you know, has struck out quite a bit in his career, but when you have to throw to him, he's a really dangerous bat. And Trevor behind Nolan, that's pretty good. Um, another guy that maybe we can talk about more in the coming weeks is David Dahl. I put him in at the second position in the order. I could see a number of places that he could go. But I'm I'm looking at a guy that really could take off this year. He's had a lot of injury issues in his career, but when he's been on the He's really produced, and September was a big month for him. He made a huge di- difference in the team going to the postseason. So, yeah, you like you like the lineup. You're hoping also that um, Ian Desmond gets a little bit more as far as the average is concerned. He still hit um, 22 home runs and drove in, I believe it was 85 runs last season, and Orion McMahon. <clears throat> um, he was getting beaten by the fastball early in the season. He did really well. Late in the year when he came in as a replacement against relief pitchers, and those are the guys who tend to throw hard. So if Ryan McMahon can kind of clean up some things about his bat path, um, get get hold of the ball out front and drive it, then really down lower in the order, he can make a huge difference for them. So you like the Rockies lineup, and hey, they have to hit year when they hit 256, which was the lowest batting average in the history of the club, although they made the playoffs. I'm going to change gears as we conclude our conversation. I really haven't asked you about, uh, let's talk a little Hall of Fame, even though um, uh, you know, I, don't want to, I don't want to get into too heated of a discussion. But uh, Larry Walker, of course, it has been uh, eligible for the Hall of Fame for quite a while now. And I wanted to kind of get your opinion on, you know, people seem to be pretty split on whether or not he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, the unofficial um, Hall of Fame tracker has him at, let's see here, where is he? Where are you, Larry? 66.7%, which would be uh, well short of the amount of votes that he would need to get in. Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? Um, I'll tell you what, this has grown for me over the years. And and, and having covered him, um, one, of the, one of the best players I'd ever seen. But at, at that point, just looking at the career in real time, I, I saw him as – 
as a Dave Parker, Fred Lynn type of guy where in the minds of the guys that he played with and against, he's a clear Hall of Famer. The question is, um, are the numbers enough? I think some of the attention to the to the sabermetrics here, some of the attention to the advanced stats, and also just in, in comparison, you go and look at his career, he compares quite favorably to a lot of Hall of Famers. And um, I've, I've over the years come around to the opinion that, yes, he is a Hall of Famer, that what we saw during the career was, was enough to get him in. Hey, there was a time when Larry Walker and Barry Bonds were the preeminent right fielders in the National League, and it was for, for enough years to where it wasn't just a blip on the map here. So um, what's happening here is, yeah, people are taking a look at it, and also you look at some of his road performance it has been it was every bit as good in fact better than ken griffey jr so um he's gone from a guy that during the career and i think part of it too was early on he had that really good expos team he made the rock he, he made the playoffs with the rockies the first year of the rockies then the rockies struggled for a while so you look at a struggling franchise in a time zone where people there are a lot of people around the country that may not even know about the mountain time zone and a team that's not seen a lot, then it's going to be harder to get in. And there's the whole course field prejudice. But I, then again, I go back to his road numbers uh, were comparable and in many cases better than Ken Griffey Jr. So actually 66% because he, I think last year he was in the thirties. So there has been a real um, awakening to what he's done. I think part of the issue in the past was a very crowded ballad, um, and now that some of that crowd has dissipated, people are taking a new look at Larry Walker. Yeah, I think so. I think that he's gaining momentum and uh, and certainly some of his numbers would definitely justify that. So, OK, good talk, Thomas. Thank you so much. Thanks to everybody for listening to MLB Extras, the Colorado Rockies edition. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>